Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Hi. Hi, how's life treating you? Oh, I mean, as good as it can be. Are you sheltering in place? Yeah, we're here. We're, we're at the house. Kids are home. School's out for the year. We're just, uh, we're, 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 we're good to go. Are you, your school's closed for the rest of the year? I mean, essentially. Yeah, I assume, I assume ours will be too. I think we're close to like after Easter now. And it's very, it's been very interesting to me because I, I've been working remote, well, not remote, but I've been working remote for years, for a ton of years now, but I've been specifically working from home three to four years now. Mm -hmm. And I forget, it's been very interesting for me psychologically to go through this uh, and see other people's reactions to it. Mm -hmm. And my immediate reaction, I'm sort of embarrassed to say, was like, guys, it's not that hard. <laughs> like you just, you just, here's the deal. Here's how it works. Now you're going to do your work, but now you're going to be at home. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. and that's a very, uh, I mean, it's, it's just, a, that was my immediate reaction just because it's sort of like, I've been doing this for a long time. It's not that bad. Completely forgetting about the fact that this was a conscious choice I made and not something I was forced to do. Right. And it was also, it also took me like a year to get used to it and get good at it and figure out patterns for it. So what about the people who live alone though? Like you have family. Yeah. Like the the people who are just like sitting in their house. I mean, I think, I think this is hard. I think it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to start working from home, no matter what the circumstances are. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do it under the best of circumstances. And when you, it's a thing that you chose to do. And this isn't anything anybody's choosing to do right now. You know, all the people who have to do it right now didn't spontaneously choose to do it. They like need to do it. They have to do it. And that's a huge, that's, that's wildly different. And it's, and you know, it's hard to do under the best of circumstances. And this is obviously not the best of circumstances. So uh, it's it's really, uh, yeah. So I, I, I was, I was, uh, I had uh, an embarrassing first reaction, which I'll now share because um, this is how we grow as human beings. Um, and now, uh, to everybody out there who's having a hard time, like I, I, I empathize, I feel you, I feel you. It's, it's tough right now, even under the, even under, yeah, it's just like you're a programmer and you can easily do your work from like wherever you sit with a computer and uh, Slack and the internet connection, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Everybody's going through a lot, a lot of stress and anxiety, you know, even again, under the best of circumstances I deal with, I'm dealing with constant anxiety which is on yourself i think just anxiety you know my anxiety levels have grown over the past basically four years just sort of continually and culminating in and sort of uh in this where it's like i i've never really had problems with actual true anxiety in the way that people have actual like general anxiety right and uh yeah no i'm just you know just uh, it's definitely very difficult. I've, uh, you know, having to, uh, be very, very, very selective about when I consume news, how I consume news, you know, how I consume certain conversations, walking away and from conversations, that sort of stuff, knowing when to ignore things. I normally don't read a whole lot of the news, but I find myself reading news every day, read a, 
read a white paper yesterday from Imperial College uh, on the coronavirus study and how long they kind of expect this to last. Uh, looking at all the data so far and some modeling is is pretty crazy. But I, I would say that my reaction was similar to yours at first because it was like, okay, I've been working from home or like a, an office by myself for a long time. Like this is something I can do. But it was more like about like me being able to survive. And then the longer I sit around, I'm like, oh, I'm very extroverted. We have no more user groups. We have no conferences, like none of all that stuff has stopped mm-hmm. right now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and then, then immediately it was like, okay, well, maybe we can do our user groups remote. Like we'll just use. Right. Google yeah. Meet figure or, out other way. Yeah. Figure out other ways to do it. Zoom calls or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to actually see that work too. I know that whenever we can get out and start b- gathering in groups again, I'm going to be excited because that's just who I am. Like, Oh yes, I get to go be around people. But in the meantime, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how we, like, as a society um, and, and in our career field, go from a lot of companies still pushing for we have to have co-located teams to, through the course of this, they're going to learn how to deal, hopefully learn how to deal with people who are not co-located. And then is that going to change the way that our society looks coming out of this? Are we going to start having most of these big buildings full of people kind of fade away because that's a big cost for companies. And if they realize at the end of this, oh my gosh, all this cost just went away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's, it's, it's super interesting. I don't know what's going to happen with that. You have to imagine that some number of companies will, see, will start to realize, start to have that, that realization, especially a lot of companies who never th- would never have allowed this prior. So you, you got to imagine that that's going to shake up a lot of the industry. Uh, I think we're probably pretty safe to say that companies will companies will become way more remote friendly. They'll just out of necessity. Like mm-hmm. this isn't going to go away anytime soon, right? So we're gonna we're looking at, you know, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of estimates around it. Some of them are highly depressing, but um, yeah, but. Uh, and probably accurate. The depressing ones are the, probably the accurate ones. But for how, how uh, long this goes? Yeah, but yeah. Right now, I've read four months to twenty-four months. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably <laughs> going to be close. I'm going to take the over on that one. Yeah, I think so too. But anyway, all that said, without getting, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds and just make this uh, so <laughs> topical um, about about the virus and everything, because uh, I do think uh, we should provide maybe let's let's call it a little bit of an escape from that. But I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost certainly that, that big companies are going to become slightly more remote friendly, uh, especially ones that you would never have considered that. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. And then some may just crave going back to the way things were after, it's, after people are free to, to do so. But um, I have to imagine some of them at least keep those, those things in place. In yeah, I think, I think at least some of the workforce isn't, is going to say, hey, I really, I may be, I really enjoyed being at home. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and some I got just aren't ever going to want to do that. I think I think it's, right. it's it's hard enough that some people are just not going to be interested in that. Um, so, and just want to be around people. People are you know some people are just social, and that's fine. That's mm-hmm. all good. I think even those of us who've been doing remote work for a long time, there's a funny phenomena that happens. So so BR engineering, especially backend, is probably almost all remote, from a percentage standpoint. 
think think backend engineers we're probably like I'm just doing some math in my head we're probably 80 at least that's a, that's a low that's a low amount percent remote yeah 80% okay. remote uh, i think the percentage is higher everyone we've hired recently has been remote and so we're we're very you know we were Andrew and i were talking about this last night like how just lucky we are I got a privilege, like all of it, right? Like mm-hmm. we live in a pretty rural area. So we, we have a ton, we have a big yard. We have hiking trails around here to go. Get, so the kids have plenty of ways to like get out of the house without, you know, while still being isolated. Uh, we have uh, a great job. We already work from home, you know, uh, all these benefits. And like the company's like already remote, basically remote highly remote friendly, if not basically remote first. Um, And yeah, it's, and it's just, it's been pretty straightforward for us to transition into. It's been a lot harder for the people who did go to the office Mm -hmm. and uh, who are used to that sort of, who are used to that. And so you, a lot of Slack channels are very noisy these days. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) How do you, how went from nothing to highly, like just like the signal to noise ratio flipped upside down. Like, (laughs) I mean, people are just, they're just craving that sort of, um, they're craving that, that communication and, and connectedness still. I, I do know that, uh, a lot of developers that I've, that I talk to on a pretty regular basis that go into the office reached out to me and they're like, Hey, where do I hang out with people online? Like, what do I do? You work remote. How do I do this? And, um, so I just, I, you know, community wise, I just try to, point them at like the elixir slack is at least a good place to to start to talk to some people um and then there are, i know find some groups that have maybe a smaller contingency of people especially as slack gets more noisy like you were saying so so find some a smaller set of developers that you're close to or that you want to talk to from that you met at the last conference and just start your own slack or discord or whatever those are those seem to be like the suggestions that people are like, Oh yeah. And it makes them feel like they can do something about it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And just, yeah. Finding just those ways to connect. This is hard, you know, and, and, but they're, but yeah, doing those, uh, they're, they're useful. They make you, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything novel to say about this. Um, <laughs> you know, you feel connected to people. That's good. Yeah. So I, I have been, talking to companies too about just how to go remote and Mm -hmm. communication is the biggest thing. There's, there's so much whenever you're not remote that happens with, with body language and context of like where Mm -hmm. you're standing or what you're looking at. And whenever you are in a a chat, you know, you say this and they're like, what's this or it. And And so there's like a lot of relearning how to, how to communicate really well, I guess. And I, I think at the, at the end of this, even if it only goes on for a short period of time, that there we're hopefully will be a lot better at communicating. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know. I certainly hope so. I think people are going to have to adapt one way or the other. And, you know, one of the benefit, one of the things that you can do if you are going all to an office, you know, that sort of necessarily means you're all in the same time zone. That makes, that makes communication a lot easier because you can just do a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. One of the hard things that I've learned is uh, 
all the ways in which I typically fall back on communication uh, don't work on a truly remote team. Like Zoom is not sustainable or, you know, uh, physical meetings are not sustainable, even remote on with a large enough team and, uh, and distributed over enough time zones. Right. Right. You only get a handful of time zones. Uh, you only get a handful of hours in the day where you're all online that aren't either over someone's lunch or whatever. And so you have to move a lot of that discussion into something asynchronous and there, and you just lose a ton of fidelity when you do that. Like the truth is, and I, and I'm pro remote work. I'm, I'm also pro fixing these things. You lose a ton of fidelity when you go remote. A hundred percent, just a ton of fidelity. Like you lose a ton of signal, not being in the same room as someone else. Because mm-hmm. you're right. You have all this body language. You have all this stuff. And you've just got, you know, uh, human, just, you just pick up on stuff. Like humans have an innate sense of that, right? Or, you know, most of them do. <laughs> not everybody. But not everybody's <laughs> good at picking up social cues. But most people are pretty good at picking up subtle social cues. Right. And they're often unsaid. And when you're on a, and the minute you go out of the same room, you lose a ton of fidelity. So the, you know, you lose a ton of the ability to read that stuff on a call. And then when you go from a call to some sort of written thing, even if it's in like a pretty well-formed, you know, GitHub discussion or email thread or whatever, you lose way more fidelity than if you were on the call with each other because you're just losing all like tone of voice, intonation. You're losing easily laughter. You're, you know, you're, you're missing out on all those things that you just pick up on uh, when you're talking to somebody. Sarcasm is really terrible in, in yeah, it just tech. Does not it just comes off, it comes off as you being a complete jerk. Like yeah. that's... <laughs> Basically, yeah. And so you lose that. And then like, if you go from some sort of long-form, well-constructed format to something crappy like Slack, or IRC or any any like very quick hit you know chat mm-hmm. program those suck like i hate slack's whole marketing thing of like we got rid of all your emails like screw you like <laughs> email was so much better because it actually allowed people to form real thoughts like yeah yeah i think people in slack so Slack is not communication. Let's be well, clear about that. Slack is not okay. ability and Slack is not communication. No chat. And, and I'm using Slack as like the colloquial. I'm using it in the same way I talk about Kleenexes. Right. right? <laughs> or Frisbee. Right. It's just the brand name for the thing. But uh, but like the big problem there is, you know, you get you can even have two or three conversations in Slack at the same time with the same person. I see it happen a lot where like somebody asks a question while somebody's typing the answer, they ask another question. That's, you know, like what the first one was about work and the second one's about family. And then a third one's about like, what are you doing this weekend? And they get answers, get intermingled in there. And then pronouns start coming out instead of nouns. And it just Mm -hmm. gets confusing to follow. And, and I, you know, that I like in some ways that, if you have something like that, if you actually sit and wait for the other person instead of trying to have multiple conversations, like you would in real life, you can't like, while they're getting ready to answer, you can't just like jump in and ask them another question. Well, you can, but you, you're terrible. That intermingling, when people wait 
I find that communication and chat works really well because there can be a, a back and forth that's a lot easier than email. And you get things, I think, sometimes slim down a little more than the giant emails that I used to get. But if yeah. people aren't wait- waiting but and also, they're using a lot of pronouns, then it gets hard to follow anything. But I think there's also there's the timeliness of it, right? So if you're in a reasonably popular channel and you're not on, like there's this perception that you then need to be online all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not on, and again, if you get getting back to the time zones thing, right? If you just happen to miss the important conversation where you decided on what the Kafka payload was going to be and it's in Slack somewhere, that's not visibility. Like that wasn't a discussion. And then you're in trouble because you didn't know. <laughs> right. Or, you know, you know, whatever. And so it's like, you have to move to higher fidelity things when possible, but finding ways to do that that are asynchronous, that allow people to get involved based on their time zone. Like that's really hard. It's really challenging. And I don't think there's a really good solution for it. I think it's a lot of effort. And so I do think that there's it's, it's it's an interesting problem space because I like remote work a lot, but I think this is a very unsolved problem, like a highly unsolved problem. So what were the hard things when you you said it took you a year to transition? What were those things that hurt? And maybe like like it sounds like some of them are going to be Slack related, chat related. For me, it was like all communication, and I loved being around people all day, mm-hmm. and then suddenly I was around like physically around nobody. I think that's part of it. I think the the physical isolation from other people was hard. I think communication was def- is definitely still a thing I struggle with and I'm working on. And you know, the, I, I feel like I'm getting better at that, but it, it's it's a long long process to get good at that kind of at this sort of communication. Um, that mm-hmm. was a big part of it. I think the really the really um, draining things, the things that were really the hardest to learn was how to disconnect from work. Like when your work is at your house and your computer is at your house and you're at your house, you know, you really have to start thinking about modes that you're working in, like modes of of your life. And you're either in work mode or you're in home and life mode. Mm -hmm. And you really have to get good at walking away from both of those things. Because at the end of the day, like you need to have a life still. Even if you're just sitting there by yourself, you need to not work all the time. That's just good for you. You need to sleep. <laughs> you need to not be staying up late just working. You need to do all these good things for your life. One, one of the things I've seen work for some people, your office actually in your house would work great for this because you have a door outside and a door that goes inside. Mm-hmm. Is that to go from your the rest of your house to your office or your office to the rest of your house, you actually walk outside and around. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Um, just to give you like that mental thing of I'm leaving home. Because mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me... Well, so it was different when... So I, I worked remote, but I had an office that was like three miles from my house. It was just... I was alone in a room with no windows and nobody else in the building worked with me and it was mostly empty building. So mm-hmm. that's how I first went remote. Um, Because I lived in the middle of the woods and didn't have internet that was even good enough to chat with. So, but then when I when I moved to Kansas City last year, I started working out of my basement. And the hardest thing for me was like I would run upstairs to grab uh, a glass of water or something, Mm -hmm. and then I would be like, "Oh, there's like five dishes here. I'm just gonna wash these real quick." Uh, Oh, 
uh, let me stop by and talk to my wife. Oh, right. my daughter wants a hug. And by the time I didn't realize it, I went to get a glass of water, which should take me two minutes, mm-hmm. maybe maybe five. And I'm gone for a half hour. Right, right, right. And, and and then because of that, I also feel bad for clients. So then instead of working an extra half hour at the end of the day, I work an extra four hours at the end of the day. Right. Well, and that's the flip side of it, which is that you also have to work still. You have to get work done still. You know, your your job, you get the benefit of being at the house. That is a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard for a while. I would never go back to not working from home if I could help it at this point. But you also still have to do your job. Like the privilege you get for working at home is that you have a job to do. And I think that that's reasonable. Um, And so it means that you have to have good boundaries about when you're working too. And that was actually the, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the challenging bit was me and the, and the kids and and my wife Mm -hmm all getting on the same page about what that meant. Um, and we have a really good strat. We have like a really good pattern or a, a bunch of really good patterns with it now um, that allows me to be involved in the kids' lives throughout the day without having to, you know, always sort of disrupt the work aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Well, your kids too are, whenever you started working, Remote, your well, did, did you only have one then, or did you have two? But they were pretty young, so they've they've yeah. kind of like lived most of their life now with dad being a remote mm-hmm. employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in some form or fashion. Yeah, so that's been interesting too. I mean, but like, but they understand now too that like we can't play video games in the middle of the day, even though they want to do that. We cannot play. Mm-hmm. We cannot build another Mario Maker level right now. because that's got work to do, but we will later, you know, but what we can do right now is we can eat lunch together, you know, or like I can take Alice to school in the mornings. Like we, we, there are all, there's all these other ways to be involved throughout the day. But I think you do, there is something about, you know, like you have a job to do. You have to do, you can't, you have to do your work. And do you find, Oh, sorry. No, I mean, well, that's it really. But you have to, you have to have time to be able to do that without it taking over your life. And so finding the, like, when you when you work you're working and when you're not you're not um and and trying trying to split those two things uh, or bounce between them for me super doesn't work do you do you keep a really strict schedule on when you start and when you end work not super strict but i have a schedule like i'm not militant about it but i have a very pretty defined schedule yeah um, I, w- I would say that my we don't really getting in my beginning and end of day are I try to keep them within a half hour. Mm-hmm. Like I say five 30, but that might be five to six. Yeah. And, and my mornings too, sometimes just because like maybe the kids need some extra help. So I, I try to leave that a little open, mm-hmm. but my lunch, I'm terrible about keeping a lunch schedule. Yeah. I'm bad about it. And, and I've noticed that whenever I, uh, I'm always happier when I have a really well-defined lunch schedule. Like when mm-hmm. I take a lunch break, basically at noon and then come back at one or whatever, you know, around there sometimes earlier, sometimes later, but I typically, I'm typically in, I'm typically in the office, like in my home office by, you know, nine plus or minus 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Um, That's not too bad. Like, like in ready to work. Um, And I I typically stop it 
almost right at five, maybe like four thirty. So your your kids, do your my kids partially homeschool at least, but do your kids go out to school? Uh, yeah, historically. <laughs> okay, so so I was going to ask like your kids have just started their home now and you've also worked over summers and stuff, but not everybody who's doing remote has had to deal with that. Like their kids go off to school and they go off to work at the same time. So how, how are you dealing? Like what are the, some of the things that work for you in having the kids at home while you're working? Yeah, it's, that's tricky. It's really me. The hardest thing was going like when I would hear them like arguing in the other room mm-hmm. or something, not like just knowing that my wife's got this, mm-hmm. she, you know, I don't have to be there every time somebody goes, ow. You know, like, right. Yeah. Cause yeah, that was a big change tricky. for me. That's definitely, that's definitely really hard. If it's really bad sounding, I'll go out there. But honestly, for the most part, they play outside or they're doing school at the table. They don't fight too much. Uh, part of that's because we've been pretty honest about with our oldest, who's typically the instigator of a lot of that. And just sort of told her like, listen, this is a serious thing. Here's what's happened. Here's why you're home. Here's why we're home. You know, here's why we're doing social distancing. Here's why we're doing all these things. And we're not trying to scare you. But this is the reality of our lives right now. If we do these things, it will help a lot of people. And by being honest with her, she's not you know, we're probably either giving her a lifelong series of, uh, <laughs> of, of therapy problems, uh, which will be treated in some way. But at the same time, it's been really helpful just to tell her kind of, you know, we, we're not like doom, we're not like spelling doom for everybody, but we're pretty honest. And I think that's yeah. been really helpful for her to understand to, to, when we say like, we need you to do these things, she understands sort of the import of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's helped actually, uh, keep things, but at the same time, you just sort of, you just learn to tolerate a low grade level of yelling, <laughs> you know, at any given time, there's going to be toys everywhere. There's going to be yelling, you know, at their kids, you know, we're, like I said, we're fortunate that we have a backyard. They can run outside and go play in and they'll be okay. Yeah. I feel for the people that are stuck in like third floor apartments oh yeah no like that Uh, that's so much worse than than what i'm dealing with i'm sorry for you and and if you want to you can go out to our website and tell us about your coping coping mechanisms because keithley and i neither one of us have had to deal with we're not doing anything as difficult as what you're dealing with right now (laughs) yeah so if you have things that you would think you should share tweet at us something we would love to to be able to share that with everybody like that's my big thing. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how, how can I help people mm-hmm. like, keep that social distancing? And, and I did talk to my kids about like, look, you know, we're, we're doing this, you know, to protect society as a whole. Like, like, I don't think that my children need to be scared that they're going to die. Like, <laughs> you guys are okay. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, we're just, we got to keep the hospitals open and stuff like that. So exactly. Yeah. Anybody who's out there, who's listening, who's like throwing coronavirus parties, please stay at home. Yeah. Stop it. Hey, hang out. You jerks. And it, and if you want to get on a hangout on, on Google meet with me so that you can have somebody to talk to, that's cool. Just let me know. <laughs> yeah. We should stay do home. that at some point. That'd be fun. Yeah. We should do an outlaw party. 
maybe we should do an outlaw conference online conference. Well, let's just do like a okay. Oh, we'll right. start with a party. Let's start with let's, a party. Let's yeah, maybe dream big on your own time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like to dream big when other people are around and hope that they take the reins and I don't have to do anything. That's that's the goal. <laughs> then I just do the fun stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, don't drag me into your giant, your giant dreams of like, let's do a whole conference. Like, I'll, I just wanted like a single Zoom call with a bunch of friends. Okay. Let's, okay. That's all let's I want. A single lunchtime Zoom call with friends. Let's and you're do over that. here like, you know what we should do? We should make t shirts, just throw a conference, we'll get speakers. Uh, we'll do some sort of oh. send out, you know, gift cards. People can uh, cater their own lunch. I, 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 uh, no, Whew, now you're pushing mine to the next level. And you have great you, ideas. You should, over here. you should totally run with this, Keithley. It would be amazing. You're over here, like, like all I wanted, to, I just wanted to call. And next thing I know, <laughs> uh, I've got a week long extravaganza. I got a gala. I got to go to now <laughs> online. That's right. Bow ties only. Not cool, bro. <laughs> Not cool. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, I think a, a lunchtime chat would be fun. Be fun. We'll maybe, maybe, sometime. maybe record it. Maybe not. We'll see. We'll see. <sighs> so, that, anyway, like, so that was fun. So, so <laughs> topical. Uh, lots of, lots of fun news. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 th- I think it's good though, that we talk about this stuff. I here's the thing. I'm happy to revisit this uh, in weeks to come, as long as it is uh, we focus on constructive ways to do remote work better. That's what I'll say. Yeah, fantastic. But I think I think we had to just. I don't know. I felt like I needed to talk to somebody other than my family about everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's nice to see that you know you guys are doing good. Um, almost everybody I talk to, everybody's doing okay right now. Yeah, so I think, yeah, same, same. Good, good deal. So, what about Elixir World? What are you doing? Uh, what am I doing? Just writing a lot of code. No, just writing, writing tons of code. <laughs> I saw I have bronchitis left over from that, uh, from the last conference I went to. So, maybe remote conferences are sounding good right now. Um, <laughs> I broke, uh, I broke. A thing in I, I submitted a feature for um, the Kafka library that we use called Elsa, uh, which is really good. Nice. Check it out. It's maintained by friends of the show. I broke it because I in the feature I submitted, the feature just didn't work, <laughs> uh, which is typical of me when I don't write tests for things. As much as I'm aligned TDD, I always I I always get details wrong. I'm bad at that. <laughs> so should have written tests. I, you know what? I did test it and then I changed something at the end about the API and, uh, and inadvertently broke it. So yes. So in this so case, I, you're right. I, I should have written tests. I should have written tests to verify that it worked. 100% accurate <laughs> statement. 100% accurate statement. So I'm fixing that. But mostly I'm just writing a lot of code. Like I'm writing just so much code in the belief that I can somehow solve problems that way. Most, a lot, a lot, lots of human problems that, you can't solve with code. I'm still attempting to solve them with code. Nice. So we'll see. We'll see uh, how that pans out. So me, me too. Um, I tried to get my wife to let me buy a farm bot, you know, cause I was like, Hey, we're going to need a garden this summer. Just, this is just my excuse to buy new toys. Like mm-hmm. you could just have I'm, a garden. You don't need a yeah, robot. I'm here I, to tell you. Shh, don't tell people that. 
if you say that too loud, she might actually listen to the podcast. Here's the thing. People I had, people had I, gardens. She won't let me buy one anyway. People had um, gardens for a really long time. I know. I know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, so like today's is my, I call it, we call it noggin day. Long uh, before Ben, Ben Franklin flew a kite in the rain, people had gardens, Amos. Wait a second. I thought we didn't start gardening till after. Oh, in a post Ben Franklin uh, world. I, well, I thought it was a post civil war world. The, he invented the bifocals <laughs> and, uh, the notion of growing vegetables. Yeah. Before that, everybody was just hunting and gathering. Discovered electricity, <laughs> invented the bifocal, I believe had syphilis. And, uh, oh, you know, and, and, it's uh, a gardens and, and those things early that you put to on bed, early feet. to rise, also plant carrots and the things that you put on your feet uh, when you swim, something that what uh, are those called uh, flippers flippers. Yeah. They said, I, I just read somewhere that he used to strap planks of thin wood to make his feet longer and he would go swim nude. I mean, outside of the, yeah, hey, it sounds like a Benjamin Franklin thing if you've yeah. read a lot about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so today's our, our well, we call it noggin day at work, but it's just our day to do fun things. So I'm working with Connor um, this morning, looking at some scenic stuff. Uh, I've been working on a lot of builds lately, and mm-hmm. and you know what? I can I really appreciate actually the mix release stuff oh, that, yes. that came out way more because. You know, I did everything with eDeliver before, and I like mm-hmm. eDeliver. It's got some some good features, but I feel like Mix release just simplified my life. And then I'm actually using Circle CI for building. Mm-hmm. And as Connor likes to say, that they give you free CPU, free yeah. build time. Just so use much, it. So much free CPU. Yeah, just use it. Like, <laughs> well, this is this is this is relevant to my interest because I am currently uh, working on a thing. Where I uh, un- unrelated to work, just but for fun, which maybe we talk about in the future. Where I uh, I-, I have the need to to provision and build some uh, some artisanal hand rolled bespoke uh, servers and deploy code to them. Nice. So tell tell me tell me how it do, Amos. So so the circle. circle no, CI. just uh, just talk talk me through uh, a deployment process that doesn't involve the words Kubernetes. Docker, all these things. I want to. Oh, I want to hear it. Okay, you're using the Docker. Well, because Circle CI, we build. A, we use Docker to build the box that actually. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. This is so, this is what I'm interested in. Okay, well, but, sorry, I, I, I will get out of the way. Tell me about your process. We have an article about it that Connor wrote too on the website. Um, Tell me how it do. So basically, whenever we push a tag, is what we have it set up for. So whenever there's a tag on on a production branch. Circle CI will pick that up. We have some Circle CI config, and we also have we also have a, a Docker container already out there for you for working with Elixir that we link to in the article. Maybe we'll throw this in the show notes. But if you go to get GitHub's binary noggins account on GitHub, you'll find that there. So we have the Circle CI set up to use the con- the Docker container that we have defined that has Git and Elixir mm-hmm. and Erlang and mm-hmm. all the stuff that we need, and it picks up our project only if you tag it mm-hmm. and it um, runs mix release and we always go to the steps on mix release and mm-hmm. you have to have a symbol in your list of steps if you define them. But then after that, there's another one tar, mm, which is okay, a beautiful sure. thing. And it tars up the, the project and then and well, after it builds it. So it builds a, 
uh, release and then tars it up. And then we have the keys. Circle CI has keys that connect to our production servers and it sends the tar over there, tells it to untar, calls stop on the process and start on the process on the new one. Got it. And it takes a pretty short amount of time, actually. Right. Yeah. Especially if you have a lot of the stuff already, like if you've got it cached, like building the releases really quickly or really quick. Yeah. 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 And we do, we, we set up circle CI's caches for Mm -hmm. dependencies and stuff like that. So it doesn't pull those down again. And, and I'm sure that there's ways that we could streamline and make our build better. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it works pretty well. Right. Um, For what you're actually doing. Yeah. And then you have the release configurations are nice. Because mm-hmm. they do give you some sort I mean, of like start time configuration. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, we just we some, don't use any of that. Uh, well, I, th- I think uh, I might be using it for one thing and one thing only. But I, it's, a, it's a gym or that's like, fine. a gym, a package. I mean, you, you, you listen, you, you got to do what you got to do. And I do understand if you've got dependencies that rely on mix on config files, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And, and just in case people aren't aware, for releases, you have a there's like a specific like release.exs file that you can add that will uh inject stuff into your application config and it does it after the after the app boots. Right. And right. That way, that way, that way you can populate it with like runtime variables. Yep. We largely skip that entire thing and we use vapor for all of it. And we just the, the very first thing that happens when your applic in your application start, you know, def start uh, underscore underscore because you never need that crap, and uh, and then you uh, the very next line is typically always like vapor dot load bang, and then load the configuration that you've specified. That's yeah. I haven't I haven't used vapor, but I can tell you I used Tommel mm-hmm. before this, and that was horrific. And I think. Environment variables seem to work pretty well if you only have a couple. The benefit to Vapor is you can use whatever you want. So you can use JSON files or YAML or TOML, or you can ah! use, or <laughs> actually TOML is way better. TOML is way better than YAML or, or JSON. Like way better. Not even close. Yes, I would agree. The thing that I like about the EXS is that it's Elixir and so or like, you can. I don't have to change my brain whenever I'm looking at different. Sure. Files. The problem with releases and the reason we use Vapor, uh, amongst other things, it's really easy to add. Um, it's really easy to do conversions because you can map. You can for every binding, you can basically say like, "Here's the environment variable I want. Put it into this actual variable in the map, and the map you're going to give me at the end of it, and then." That's called a binding. And when you have a binding like that, you can say like, this has to be required. They're all required by default. So if they're missing, it throws or you get an error back. That so nice. the app won't boot, which is, that is exactly what you want in literally almost every case. Right. You, you, you do not want to boot the app with a missing piece of configuration. Along those same lines, you almost never want defaults. So like, so I, th- I don't think you ever want to use a default value if you can help it. Because here's the thing. Default values in configuration, they only help the developer while you're in development mode. Get mm-hmm. over yourself. <laughs> like, just 
set up your environment correctly and, the way you would with production and always get the variable because what will happen is you'll deploy, you'll not have the variable there, it'll fall back on the default, everything will look correct, and it won't be. And then you'll get weird, subtle bugs. So I, I in the past, because of that, I've, I've set default, var- default values because they had to be there, mm-hmm. but I set them to like database not configured. So that when right. it actually mm-hmm. blows up, I see a string that says database not configured, and I'm like, right. oh, crud. So Vapor um, forces everything to be there. It gives you translations, like really easy to use. Tra- like you can just map, call like string dot two integer on stuff to convert it so into does, integers, all that stuff. So when you when you run Vapor, does it give you some kind of uh, config map back or something that you pass you down map. to the other stuff? Yeah, it just gives you a map. Okay, it gives you is a map there keyword lists? Is there anything built into Vapor for? Um, configurations changing while the system is running, like no, notifications. That that does not exist. Um, it's a hard problem. It, and for a long time, Vapor is an interesting project for me because Vapor is the project I've struggled with the most to come to the right API. And I think it's finally pretty close to the right API. Although I think that there's, what's right? I say it. I think that the building blocks are all there, and now it needs an actual like easy to use API over the top of it. But all the building blocks are there to build that now because it's just all structs and Elixir data structures. For a long time, I attempted to build an API that would do things like watch configuration and then update somehow and then emit that update to everybody. But the downside of doing that is, one, it's a highly stateful thing that's really easy to get wrong. Uh, Two, you have to care about all these different error semantics and because you're caring about them, you're forcing everyone who uses your library to buy into those semantics. And that is often not really what you want because everybody's got, every service is going to have different ways to talk about this stuff. And mm-hmm. so at the end, I just ripped all that out. You know, it's like good, de- it's design, right? It's uh, taking things apart and pulling them all apart and just doing one thing really well. And so Vapor is really only focused at like loading the right variables. And if you want to load stuff from external sources or if you want to watch it and load it on demand, like you'd pretty much have to do that yourself. But then you're in control of it. So like the hard part of getting this layered together map of stuff that you, where you know it's all there, that we do for you. Putting it in persistent term or putting it in nets or you know, notifying processes to restart with new configuration or whatever, that's not really a thing that I think we can universally solve. Because you just have to buy into it too much. Like so many other things have to buy into that process if you do it that way, that it makes it less useful. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to do that yourself. But that I I find a lot of benefit in doing it that way because it makes your development process much closer to how your app actually runs in production. Because like release.exs doesn't run when you're doing local development. Some other config file does. This way it's like. Basically, we don't have any, we don't even have a release.exs file. And typically we really only have like the the config files we do have, you know, there's maybe like, I don't know, 15 lines of code between them when you cat them all together. Oh, that's not bad then. Yeah, it's like you can look and, and it's often it is stuff like we're injecting certain types of modules into them. Right. It's the stuff that you actually want to do in config, like not compile time necessarily kind of compile the time stuff, but often it's, you know, things like inject this mock module into the thing or 
you know, don't actually try to call this real service while you're in development mode and that sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Those are, those are probably a lot of the things that I see using configuration for anyway. So it is nice to have that as some runtime thing. And then I, the thing that I like most though, that you said the whole time there is that it requires everything to be set by default. Like that. Yeah. Makes me happy. Like I don't find out, I don't find out 20 minutes into my system running that I forgot to configure something. So you can add defaults to the bindings and you can mark bindings as not required. That is possible to do by default. Everything is required. And it took me a long time to add that. In fact, like basically Fred pushed me over the edge on adding it because he was like, people are going to do it no matter what. They're just going to work around you. So you might as well like just support it. Like they just basically won't, they'll just ignore you. Sounds like I got to support it because sounds like IBM in World War II. With a giant, you know, with a giant, uh, with a giant asterisk, like you don't really want to use these that often. And so that's my asterisk. Don't use it that often, but they are there if you want them. So you just don't want them. Do you have a giant asterisk in your, uh, I do in the documentation? Yeah. I believe there is. Here's how you do default arguments, but don't. (laughs) Yeah. I want to go back to this, to the deployment stuff. So, okay. from so, so you build the the release and circle you push yep. directly to the server uh yeah i push to well we we're the one that we have um it uses a digital ocean yeah right, right, right. yeah i also yeah. ride the digital ocean wave yeah i mean for for my projects internally five bucks mm-hmm. a month fine mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. um so we we push out to the digital ocean server mm-hmm. we untar right in the home directory because like every project we just give it a user so we untar right there in that home directory um and the un the untarring it has a, a fantastic thing is that there's a releases folder right that has every single one of your releases that you've untarred before in there oh fancy. under their own folder and that's just so that, that it, just they just you did that or no no, no you do that or it just does that Whenever you untar, so it normally does. Like, let's say you have a release zero point one point zero, it will put a releases directory, and then inside of that, it'll have a release zero point one point zero directory, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff goes in there. And then there's a start URL dot dat file dot data dot dat something that just kind of tells it what version to start out of all of those, right? So that means like if you have to roll back to a version for some reason, you just go change that start URL.data file and that gets okay. Sure. And it'll and then restart your server. I haven't had to do that, so we don't have anything automatic set up to do that. The other thing is you could just redeploy an old version right, if you right, wanted right, to. Right. Sure, sure. Um but that takes a little longer than actually just changing that one file and restarting. And then are um, you are you running all this under like like supervisor? Or, or like system D or whatever. I should be. But you're not. You're just running it. <laughs> or yeah, I should have or made like like some, kind or of, something. S- some kind of Ubuntu. It's we're running on an Ubuntu box. Okay. Um sh- and should probably have done some Ubuntu service level thing. I believe right now that But then you just stop the exit the running one and start the next one. And right. it just starts. Okay. Yep. So there's like uh, some I, downtime there, but whatever. Yeah. Uh I I'm trying to think. I think there there are ways to not do that. Like you can tell it to reload. I think, but you can symlink um, it in there, and you can also. There's a bunch of ways you can you can kind of yeah do the zero downtime thing. But but what you're describing, it's like it's whatever. Yeah. Um, 
I think that if I wanted to take it to like the next level, so what I do with some clients is do like a red green deploy. We mm-hmm. actually deploy to a completely new container, new server. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you have two of them out there, and then a load balancer in front of them. So you spin one up, and then run some like basic little is the system actually up and running tests. Mm-hmm. And if they are, then you switch the load balancer over. Right. 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 Um, mm-hmm. Yep. That I think is a good way if you don't want to have to do upgrade deployments. So I'm yep. I'm not doing hot uh, the hot reload. So yeah, um, so that's a good way to to get away with not doing hot reloads. Nice, um, and it gives you what I like about that version versus hot reloads. I I think hot hot reloads are awesome when you need them, mm-hmm. and you should learn just enough about them that if you ever need to do them, that that you have some knowledge there. And I right, think you right, should right. try it. And I've I've done that like like a year ago playing around, but not with the new mix release. I don't even know if you can. I don't um, think you can. I, I don't believe okay. it's built in. Okay. But the, the thing that I like with the red, green, red, blue, whatever you want to call it, green, deployment. Blue, blue, green. Yeah. Is that black and yellow. One of one of black and yellow, black and yellow. Um anyway. Uh <laughs> um one of the the server that you're bringing up, if you want to, you don't have to switch for a while. You could actually like go in there and play around with it and do mm-hmm. more extensive testing and then switch if you right. need to. Mm-hmm. Um, you could treat it as like a staging if you wanted to, as long as your staging doesn't create a bunch of crap data that you need to delete. It, it could be used as a staging that can be tested by QA or yourself, and you could performance test on it. Like if you're working on performance, you could say, okay, now we have a production server up. Let's see what the performance on that box is versus what it was on my laptop. Right. right, right. Mm-hmm. And then whenever you say, okay, we did make an improvement, now switch to load balancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the um, so we we do that. I do that with a client, and it's they're using AWS, and AWS has a lot of stuff built in for that. Where sure it'll spin up servers and wait five minutes to make sure that they're actually handling requests and not getting a bunch of errors. Before right, it starts and then tear to down, down the old ones. one and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So they're like you can get super complicated with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for for my purposes, I just need a couple bespoke uh, DigitalOcean boxes. Right. And uh, you know. When we'll slam, you know, some some uh, releases out there, right? For five dollars a month, are you running something like an Nginx as like a reverse proxy for your for this stuff? I these, I mean, I'm assuming these are web projects, also. They they or yeah, like, there's something all, that all, has an API. All of them out there right now are web projects, um, because it's a playground for me. A lot of times, mm-hmm. some of them are not. Like my invoicing software is. That we're written in house right. um, and deployed out there, but some of them are play projects. Um, and right now, yes, they are all web projects. And I do use Nginx to proxy into them, right? Mainly like dealing with HTTPS and and that yeah, like way, let's if, encrypt and whatever else. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that seems like a reasonable. Yeah. And there's some other neat stuff that you can, uh, and you can do some other neat things with Nginx mm-hmm. if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like, like if I actually wanted to take the app down for a while, I can have it automatically switch over on Nginx to a, uh, uh, Static site or yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, I have not done this, but I've, I've talked to somebody else who used Nginx almost like a load balancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to just already have that in the front. 
so that when you want to add those things, you can. Um, I also found dealing with SSL for my brain. I've done it for so many years in Nginx Mm -hmm. that I can just go do it in 10 minutes. Right. Versus trying to put keys into the Elixir app and and like I I don't even know how. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care yeah, to know how because yeah. I, I don't mean. need to. And then uh I I was told recently, I had no idea, but there's a way to if you're using Let's Encrypt mm-hmm. and Nginx to have Nginx automatically get mm-hmm. those key updates. Yeah. I had yeah, no yeah. idea. Like mind yeah. blown. I was talking about writing that and somebody's like, oh, it's already there. Yeah, so it's like you just do it. <laughs> yeah, so I maybe I should do that today too. It's, it's part of my very, day. It's very fun to go back to or to to kind of go back to doing a lot of this stuff. I have, it's been so long since I've actually had to care about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for work we use Docker and whatever, just jam giant hosts filled with Docker containers, and that's fine. For the thing I'm working on, it's like I need like two things. It's silly to. It'd be silly to try to like replicate some ginormous complex beast of a deployment strategy for two servers. Yeah. Right. And it's it's already over-engineered. So here's the thing, right? Like me being me, you know, I'm using Terraform to like scaffold out stuff just because uh, I hate Terraform. It's you know what? It's <laughs> it's really the worst. I don't know that like, I can find anything that's a whole lot better than Terraform. That's the, that's the problem. But I hate Terraform. You know, Terraform is the Kubernetes, uh, which is the Jira of tools. Which is to say, <laughs> like, just because you're the most popular doesn't mean you're good. And yeah, next time you, you know, have to do Java each loop, each loop like, in Terraform, you just get gets makes me angry. Oh no, time. I mean all of it's bad, but I I do like the ability to sort of just like tear down and, and like rebuild this stuff basically from the command line. Mm-hmm. That's pretty rad. Like the thing that it allows you to do is rad. I'm also using another one of my hated tools, which is Ansible, for like configuring a lot of stuff. Uh, it's fine. It's just configuration management, but it's like highly. It it, it is um highly imperative. Highly imperative. Just lets you run 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 commands on over SSH on boxes on multiple boxes. I, I like that Ansible automatically allows you to communicate everywhere instantly. Is this a reference? I was trying. I was trying. I was okay, giving you cool. a chance to explain so, the reference. No, I don't. It's not, <laughs> not, not about that life. But anyway, so I'm doing this because that's already that's already like way more complicated. Like you shouldn't even be doing that for spinning up what amounts to like two servers in a database, right? But uh, I'm doing it because why are you spinning up? Are you why are you spinning up two servers? I got stuff I got to do, dog. Are they both running the same thing? No, they're just okay. They're running stuff. I was like, I thought maybe you were like throwing a load balancer in front of no, your no, 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 little no, play that's, project. No, and I'm no, like, no. It's not, well, I mean, you know, got some customers coming up, but whatever. Nice, nice. Anyway, nice. the point being, yeah, I think you need a load balancer as soon as you have enough customers that they it's actually been a pay for since it. Since I've had to, <laughs> had to do this stuff, um, and so it's a chance to go and relearn some stuff. It's good. It's good for you. It's yeah. good for you. It's it, you also get to relearn all the frustrating parts of it, though. Yeah, I mean, it is it is one of those things where you're like, oh right, yeah, this it it. I remember now why we don't do this anymore that often. <laughs> like I remember why, and it also you know the the fun, really funny thing is it makes me realize just how ridiculously under uh, underpriced like Heroku is when you really stop and think about all the things they're doing for you. Oh yeah, and you're like, this cost me nothing, like. <laughs> Actually, nothing. 
how is that a sustainable business model? Like, you yeah. know, I guess it's get bought by, you know, Salesforce. Uh, I don't, but anyway, I, I, I don't know. So why DigitalOcean over Heroku if Heroku's that easy? Oh, I mean, just because. I, why? Yeah. I mean, I could, I could turn around and ask you that question. So, I don't know. Um, you want to come over here and mow my lawn? <laughs> if I can tell you what to do, I will come mow your lawn. Oh, as soon happily. As, as soon, soon as, as the quarantine is lifted. As as quarantine is over, <laughs> I'll it, be there. It might be next year. But, I mean, most uh-huh. likely. But so, no, I, I mean, we're doing it. I, um, Heroku should, if you're building a real thing and you want it done today, uh, you should use Heroku. It is mm-hmm. the, like, and I don't work for Heroku. Uh, I got no kickbacks from this. They're not a sponsor of the show because uh, there are it no sponsors be. on the show. They should be. They should. Heroku, can you go put some money in our Patreon? Right. You That'd know, I mean, just really just, uh, you know, across my palm, Heroku. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wet my beak. Uh, I get no kickbacks from this, but like using stuff like that, right? Like you should 100% be doing that. That's there's like a no brainer. There's no and and forget all the people who are like, well, you can't use, you can't use distributed Erlang if you use Heroku, or you can't use hot code upgrades if you use Heroku. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but like you don't want to do that but anyway. It's free. <laughs> like you're 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 literally complaining about a thing that you don't need. So, <laughs> you, so because you have no customers anyway. Just like put it on Heroku and just run it. So why okay? So DigitalOcean, you put the question back to me then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why DigitalOcean over yeah. Heroku? Um, come mow my lawn. Yeah, I don't get on. No, I. So for me, it was like, okay, I can pay nothing, and sometimes when I go to hit the app because it doesn't get a lot of traffic, mm-hmm. it'll just it, be down. It it or or it takes a while to come up, right? Like it's super slow because it has to actually start it and everything. Mm-hmm. And DigitalOcean is just always there. I also like being able to SSH in and do some other mm-hmm. crazy things that I can't do on Heroic. Like it's a lot easier to cut a release and SSH in. And then run app name, yeah, remote and get a console, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, like five dollars a month, I will pay five dollars a month to have slightly quicker response times, um, yes. because my app doesn't get hit enough to stay in in Heroku's 100%. running cycle, yeah, 100%. and and SSHing in, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff that I also like. I you know I should put this into the cost like you said there's a ton that heroku does even at the free level just that you don't have to yeah that you don't have to deal with so like just collecting logs (laughs) like (laughs) like it's such a huge deal right you know if that's partially too kind of why i'm i'm personally doing it is because it's been a long enough time since i you know provisioned servers and i've never been good at ops stuff that I feel like that's an important thing for me to learn. If you were really good at ops, you probably wouldn't be really good at distributed systems. Like you have to choose. Yeah. Something. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all trade-offs. Right. So I feel like this is an important, uh, this is an important learning process for me, which is kind of a big reason why I'm forcing myself to go through it instead of doing the, the right thing, which is just get it deployed. So, so have you used gig elixir? Uh, nah, meh. Yeah, okay, I, I was. I mean, sure I think it's actually probably a pretty cool service. I know people use it. Um, it's cool. I, I'm. I'm. Here's what I'll say. I'm really happy it exists. I'm really, really down with the idea that it exists. Like that's really cool. 
And it's really kind of amazing that anybody built it in the first place mm-hmm. and got it running and working. Like that's also awesome. Like like hats off to them for doing that. That's a ton of work. Like just a huge amount of work to get all to get that stuff. And it, and I think it started as like this side passion project, from my understanding, too. Yeah, for sure. And it was so. basically because of like just try to solve the you know the the stuff with Heroku. To have a Heroku like thing, but that let you do fancy Elixir stuff. Yeah, and I, and I, I was going to ask is is I thought that I had heard that it's like Heroku, where you just kind of push to a Git repository and move on. Yeah, I think it is. I don't know. I haven't really looked that deep into it. For my own, I have nothing against their service, and I think it's probably really cool. And if uh, you know, I was inclined, I would probably try it out. I think for me, I either want to not think about it at all. Mm-hmm. Or I want to think about it. I want to control it. I don't know. That's a weird. It's a weird. Uh, yeah. It's a weird uh, dichotomy in my own head. Like I either want to not ever care about this in the slightest, or I want to care about it a lot. <laughs> like, no, I, I, I feel that way too. There's a little bit of that thing on Heroku of like, I don't really know what they're doing. No. Yeah. And I don't. That's I mean, part of it. Like you don't actually really get to. And there, there's probably a little bit of, I mean, there's a little bit of that at, at digital ocean too. Like I'm not mm-hmm. picking up a box and putting it in a rack and like, so, so there, there's still a trade off, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's a little less, but I agree. Like I really also like the set it and forget it mm-hmm. mentality of Heroku that, that Heroku allows you to have like, mm. And I'll just turn up the dinos. If this thing actually takes yeah. off, just like, grab, <laughs> grab the dino slider, drag it to the right. Until it starts working well, you know. Yep. And, and you're going to take then, some pretty huge performance penalty for for doing that. But that's you know maybe that's fine. I think you, you, I think your bill would need to be very high, way higher than people think before you start to actually break even on running your own infrastructure, right? Unless you have the skills to do that, which I personally don't, which is why I'm doing it because I think that's like a useful skill to have. Mm-hmm. you know it's funny like we were this came up the other day i've been one of the main things i've been working on for the past couple of weeks uh, at work is rewriting essentially rewriting porting um improving a bunch of ruby stuff and moving it to elixir and it's just staggering what you can what you can do still to me like i've eliminated I'm pretty, I did some rough math and just in terms of what it takes in, in terms of hardware, it takes to run the completely equivalent thing in Elixir. We're going to save about $6,000 a month. That that's, that's amazing. Right? Like you heard it, you heard it here. This is free advertising for the people who want to sell to their company that they should switch to Elixir. Here you go. This is it. We're replacing, we replaced, I don't know how many servers, like a single task, (laughs) like a single Elixir instance replaced like some untold number of servers and is, and is, it has way better performance still. And we're not done. Like I've got a whole bunch of these things to like port over. And if, if current trends keep continue based on our, what our performance we're seeing right now, Super bad, super, super back of the, of the napkin math on this, right? But I think you're looking at a lower bound 
of like $15,000 a month. Wow. In terms of savings. Like basically just from changing run times. That's that's $180,000 a year. Like, and that's not even including, that's just hardware. That doesn't even include operational, like user, like, like me operating it costs, right? The time, mm-hmm. amount of time it takes to operate it, the amount of time it takes to deploy it. Like it doesn't a- a- account for any of the other uh, accumulated costs that, which actually those costs completely dwarf the hardware costs. Well, like they probably costs also are way higher. And now you're talking about just reducing all of that for everybody. Right. And like, well, even if you just looked at the the hardware costs, you could even say, I'm going to hire an engineer that this is their whole job. And they should right, they right. should save me more money than what it costs to pay them to do that. And that's week. like a three, and that's like, and it was like three weeks worth of work. Wow. Like, right? Like that's like yep. the best dollar value <laughs> ever. And so it is, there is sort of this, it is kind of amazing. I think if you can do things like, if you're good at the ops stuff, right? Which I like, as we've established, I am not. Mm-hmm. But if you were good at that, there's a certain amount of money you can save, uh, assuming you have all those skills, assuming you have time for all that stuff, right? You know, assuming you have a team large enough to support that, right? You can save a ton just by running like a really big box or like two really big boxes and just doing your own ops on it, right? Because like mm-hmm. a really big box, a really big DigitalOcean box is like what? It's twenty bucks a month. Yeah. I got to run two of them, so forty bucks a month. You know, and then you just do it all yourself. Like you can, you can save some coin doing that. Non-trivial coin. That's not going to be worth it for everybody. A lot, most teams like don't have the time, or in my in my experience, a lot of teams don't have that sort of operational expertise to be able to do that and and really do it well. And so it's worth your time just to like use something off the shelf, but it's pretty wild. And and then selling that to the company. The other thing that I see with a lot of teams is they have they have too much feature crunch mm-hmm. to ever get the time to do that. Yeah, um, exactly. One of the one of the big spaces for customers that I work with that are trying to convert from like Ruby to Elixir is I see a lot of like jumping through hoops where they're trying to do. I'm going to call it distributed MapReduce, and I don't mean like distributed across multiple servers necessarily right but being able to distribute across multiple processes your map and your reduce Mm -hmm. so like something that fans out and comes back together right um it's really hard to do with with background processing libraries yeah but but you can use something like flow and have it done in 10 minutes in elixir and still be way more performant right 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 yeah, it's pretty wild when you really start. And and I mean, obviously we're biased. I'm biased. The company is biased because we have a lot of expertise on running Elixir systems and doing mm-hmm. tracing and production and diagnosing production problems and fixing them and moving on and all that kind of stuff. So we're biased in that way. And you can get good at debugging anything. You know, people run like giant Perl systems out there in the world and they're good at it. You, know, you can get good at diagnosing and debugging running systems and any sort of tooling. That said, the amount of tooling you get for free in this runtime to be able to like make your systems operable 
mm-hmm. meaning you can get into them, you can trace through them, see what's going on, fix problems in production. You know, it's just, I don't, I'm so broken. It's like, I look at other runtimes and I'm like, you can't do anything. You all, you're just so handcuffed on what you're able to do in a live running system. It's pretty wild. Like what you just get for free. Yeah. I'm, I'm all, I'm just constantly staggered by it. When I, when I really step back and like do the comparison, it's pretty wild. We need to, we need to get some more conversion stories on here. Cause they excite me. Like mm-hmm. I just, I see it every day at work but I can't always talk about all of it. So we should find some yeah. people that, that get to, that can talk about it. Yeah, for sure. sure. Well, we've been on here. We've been on here. This, this is going long. We got to go. It, it is going long. Um, I just want to say everybody out there, stay happy, healthy, and safe. Please stay home. Find, find some community online. Um, hang out. Reach out to us. Um, maybe we'll see if we can help you out. I mean, I don't think we have enough listeners that will be completely overwhelmed with people reaching out to us. <laughs> If we are, I'll make Juliet talk to him. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I just I just really wanted to say that everybody stay happy, healthy, and safe, and and we love you and miss you, and we'll be back at conferences when they they get going again, and see everybody in in, in face in person to person. Take care, everybody. All right, later, Keithley. <laughs>